I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. I want to thank you for joining me. If you are listening uh, and watching on Facebook live stream, I appreciate uh, you tuning us in and catching the program. If you are catching us as a podcast, I appreciate that as well. Uh, you may be catching us in Washington, D.C. As it turns out, um, my uh, suspension uh, was not necessarily carried out by both of the Pacifica stations that I was on. So, uh, so you may be hearing me on, uh, on WPFW in Washington, D.C. And if so, I greatly appreciate it, and I greatly appreciate you, you tuning, uh, tuning me in there as well. Um, look, I've got to talk about an issue that, frankly, it, it's not just a Native issue. It is an issue that we all experience. And we, we know that we can identify our oppressors, right? We can, we can identify the people who are doing things clearly in plain view um, and they uh, th that harm us. And, and they usually are people who are, you know, look, racism plays a big part in a lot of this stuff. I mean, so it's usually people that don't look like us, you know, so regardless of who you are. So if you're Jewish, you know what it is. If you're black, you know who it is. If you're native, you know who it is. If you're Hispanic. And, and perhaps, you know, look, even if you're, you know, some marginalized white folks, you, you, you know that you have people who kind of have it in for you, all right? And this also cuts along political lines, so sometimes it's, uh, it's a little hard to determine who the enemy is and, and who uh, are just people that you can have a civil disagreement with, okay? But my question is, who's worse, the, the known enemy or the sellouts that we have that perhaps look and talk much like us on, on occasion and, and then do everything they can to, to, again, sleep with the enemy. And, and I bring this thing up and, and, and you know, some of you who follow me on Facebook and, and follow some of the groups that I follow on Facebook, you know that and I've dealt with this um, over the mascot issue, this group that calls themselves the Native American Guardians Association. And, but I also, I hate bringing them up because I hate to give them any kind of air. I don't, I don't want to give them any wind for their sails. I don't want to give them any more attention than they deserve because they really don't. And, and this is kind of my point. My point is we can sometimes get so distracted by the people who we think are wrong to join the enemy and then take our eye off the ball with, with what the real fight is. I'm not interested in spending a great deal of time, you know, undermining or trying to, you know, expose the, the fraudulent nature of this Native American Guardians Association or, or anybody else. Look, I speak a lot about a lot of issues here on Native territory. I live in Seneca territory, and there's a lot of dissension over things like gaming, and I've talked about that quite a bit on, on this program. And the immediate reaction I get from people when I say, 
that I don't agree with the Seneca leadership is that they're sellouts and that they're corrupt and that they're, you know, they're getting paid off and that kind of stuff. I don't know that that's true. So I don't want to look at Seneca leadership as necessarily the main problem. The main problem is the state of New York. And, and of course, the incompetence of the, of the federal government over regulating the states on their oppressive uh, and, and, you know, and their, their abuse that, uh, that they impose upon native uh, gaming ent entities. So I'm not prepared to throw Senecas who, who may believe that they're doing the right thing under a bus. I just want to expose that they're wrong. And so I don't necessarily cast everybody who disagrees with me as a sellout. I mean, and I, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair. And look, I, because you can disagree with me, okay? It is okay. It's allowed. It's fine to, to hear some of the things that I say and say, you know, I think he's out a little bit too far on that one. I don't necessarily agree with that. And, and some of the conversation that I'm having here in this program, you, some of you may have that view. So again, when I think about this, this group, and, and they are a fraudulent group, okay, to be clear. <laughs> they, and when I call them frauds or fakes, and, and apparently they're suing the Washington football team now because, because they, one of their executives or sales representatives or something called them a fake group. Well, they are a fake group. And now, when I say they're a fake group, I'm not saying that none of them have native ancestry or that none of them are a part of a, of a, you know, a nation. What they're fake on and, and where, the, where the fraud comes in is that they're trying to represent themselves as a voice of, of, uh, of all native people. And look, they're going to find an audience, especially, especially the white, with the right-wing media, they're going to find plenty of people who are going to put them on their program. But you know what? I don't want to go on Fox News to combat these clowns. So I'm more interested in fighting the states, sometimes these school districts. I want, I'm interested in fighting the politicians. I'm, I'm interested in fighting against racism. And, and like I said, as fraudulent as this group is, and, and to be clear, most of their so-called membership is not native. And, and most of them are pretendians, as, the, as that phrase has been coined. You know, you got Andre Bilodeau, who is, who is as big a fraud as could exist. I mean, if, just to recap a little bit, he's a guy who wrote a children's book about the Washington football team's name and then went around telling everybody he, he's a published author. So it was self-published, and he went around and said he's a published author. He also took a psychology class, allegedly, in, at Stanford um, under the famed uh, Phil Zimbardo, and then called Phil Zimbardo his mentor, and then mischaracterized the work that this, again, this famous psychology professor and psychologist, he mischaracterized his work. I had Phil Zimbardo on my program. He said, I don't, I don't, I don't even know who that is. Never heard of him. I'm not saying he wasn't in one of my classes, but he certainly wasn't in a mentorship role with, with him. And, 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 and he, we also addressed some of the things like his, his, his famous uh, prison study that he had done and, and, and some of that stuff. Because that's what Naga and this, this clown, um, Andre Bilodeau, was, uh, was trying, he's, he's trying to cite all this stuff and trying to pass himself off as a psychologist. And, and he, of course he's not. He took a psychology class. And maybe he took the, the, the class that Phil, Phil Zimbardo uh, uh, taught. But that's not to say that 
he clearly didn't understand what he was taught or, and what was presented to him. So that's just an example. The, these guys will oftentimes will cite that same old Annenberg poll that suggested that, I don't know, that 90% of Native people polled in a phone poll uh, supported the Washington football team's name using the, the slur Redskins for a name. And of course, that, that poll has been so far debunked because look, if you just pick up a phone and call random numbers and try to ask them, well, are you a Native American? We know that there are plenty of people who claim to be Native American or Indian or the great granddaughter of a Cherokee princess. As I mentioned before, and I'll bring it up again, the 2020 census indicated through self-reporting on the 2020 census that the population of those claiming native to be Native Americans in some, in some degree grew by 87% from the, the, the census uh, in, in 2010. That is impossible. The only way that is possible is those who have never identified themselves as Native American mysteriously decided in this decade, in, in this census, that no, I'm gonna call myself Native American. You know, I don't know, they thought there was some benefits going to come their way. But, so, I mean, there is no population increase. Not like that. I mean, I'm not saying that, that our population might be marginally increasing, but we're also a very, very, very small population. Native people who are a part of a Native community, and I don't mean they just live here. I mean that they're connected to a Native community. We represent less than ten, one-tenth of one percent. You know, there's some... Uh, polling, and of course now it's going to be all jacked up because of <laughs> the last census, which was a debacle under Trump anyway, so <clears throat> there's no telling what what numbers they're going to try to extrapolate out of that debacle, but um, yeah, there, there's some you know, some that have suggested that we're as high as 1 or 2% of the U.S. population. No, it's not. I mean, that's going to include a, a whole lot of people who are just self-identifying as, as Native American when it's convenient to them. So that's what this group is all about. I mean, they're, they're fraudulent on so many different levels. And, they're all, and they only serve one goal. I mean, they make it sound like they're, that, they've, that they're all about protecting Native sovereignty. And they're not. They're about supporting white people keeping Native mascots. That's all they do. That's the only thing they do. And they get paid for it. They get plenty of... Look, I even um, I had to interact with a couple of those clowns who, were, who got paid by uh, Lancaster, New York, uh, some of the the alumni to bring a couple of those guys into um, a community engagement session. And, and they were just complete dolts. The one guy um, has about four or five different names. He calls himself Lone Wolf or something like that. Or I don't, I don't know what his, what his, I don't even know what his real name is, but he's, uh, he, he claims to be Chiricahua Apache. And of course he's not enrolled and he doesn't even claim that. He just says, well, his mother told him that. Uh, his sister doesn't claim that, but he, but he claims it. And, and of course he's been, he's been discredited by multiple news sources. I think sports illustrated even did, did a piece on it, but the, the whole organization is like that. Look, it does have a couple of people who were really adamant about keeping native mascots, not just for the Washington football team, but, uh, the university of Illinois, I mean, they, they took in a bunch of money. They were supposed to have a powwow and then kept all the money and didn't do anything with it. I think there was some, you know, some controversy there. Uh, one of the, the women who claims to be the founder, um, her name is Eunice Davidson or something like that, 
she, you know, she fought tooth and nail to try to keep the University of North Dakota calling themselves the, um, uh, the Fighting Sioux. And, and they fail. And these guys fail all the time. They have never successfully defended um, the use of a, uh, of a Native mascot to the extent that a school was really mired in, with, with real potential of changing it. I mean, the, the, supposedly the, they may be trying to offer counsel to um, Massapequa in Long Island. Uh, be, they, they call themselves the chiefs, and they're trying to sue the New York State Department of Education for their ban. Now, it's an absurd, it's a frivolous lawsuit. I mean, first off, it's, it's, it's just a frivolous lawsuit. So you got, so you got a, a high school in Long Island, white as could be, calling themselves the chiefs, and once a chief, always a chief, all that nonsense. Um, you've got, so you got the school in Long Island that's suing the, the New York State Department of Education. You've got this NAGA group that, that, you know, that runs around with every school in jeopardy and and if they're really in jeopardy, they lose the they lose the fight. But they they run around supporting them, and now they think that they have a a, a libel suit or a slander suit against the, the Washington football team because they would not bow to the pressures that they were trying to create. And they got a lot of news coverage. I mean, look, all these right wing news organizations, if you even want to call them that, um, had them on, and uh, and they started a petition to try to bring back the Washington Redskins name. And, and this, they, they also tried to suggest they were going to push for a boycott uh, similar to the Bud Light boycott because they got to take their shots at the LGTB2 uh, spirit community. They got to take a shot at every, I mean, these guys are so right wing. They follow every talking point that the right does, you know, cancel culture, uh, wokeism, um, uh, they're anti uh, Black Lives Matter. They're anti uh, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. I mean, they're these guys. These guys are terrible. I mean, it's no coincidence that that Naga and Maga are so uh, closely associated. But 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 that's who these guys are. But and I know I'm doing exactly what I said I'm not going to do. I'm not going to talk about these guys much. And 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 so as far as that goes. I'm pretty much done. Now, if a legitimate news media outlet wants me to come on to, to refute some of what they're saying, I mean, they claim to be you know, promoting education rather than eradication. They claim that removing a mascot somehow is canceling Native people. And, and we all know that it's, that it's white people that are feeling canceled here. They're feeling like they're being deprived of being able to play Indian for the rest of their life because they went to a school called the Indians or the Chiefs or the Savages or the Redskins or whatever. It, it's, it's absurd. But when I hear, or when I see a, a school, and, and there's, there's several of them that say, well, we've consulted with a Native American organization. No, you didn't. You consulted with a bunch of sellouts. And there are hundreds of nations, um, organizations, uh, associations of, of legitimate native peoples who have spoken out clearly about the mascot issue. And if you wanted to really consult with native people, you wouldn't consult a bunch of frauds who, who, who only get funding from, from these schools trying to protect their mascots. I mean, they were getting funded by the Washington football team back when Dan Snyder was running it. And, and of course that dried up. So did Dan Snyder, but, uh, I, 
so, I mean, they, they are not endorsed by any native nation, organization, or, or, or any um, activists or any um, uh, people of academia, none of them. And so, I mean, they've really misrepresented who they are. And I mean, there are only about six or seven people that are, that if you check out their information, um, there's only about six or seven of them that are even a part of this thing. But, but you know what? Again, the right-wing media picks it up. They love this kind of stuff. And, you know, and they're not going to invite me on, and nor would I want to, frankly, nor would I want to go on any of those right-wing rags. But the, the point of, this, of, of what I really wanted to present here is to say those people are almost pointless. And when we are confronted with a real obstacle, and we have some serious issues with the state governments, with federal governments, with, with organizations in general, education, museums, the media. We have some serious problems with, with all of that. But the, but the few sellouts that are out there that are trying to take up space you know, to, 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 to rally against us, I, I, I don't want to give them any more credit than they're due. I, and they're not really, the, look, have they joined the other side? Clearly they have. I mean, look, these guys even joined that, uh, that little, um, you know, creepy kid with the MAGA hat on in Washington who, uh, who did the face-off uh, um, in, in D.C. And, and then supported them as they sued, you know, one of the media networks that, you know, that, that put them on television and stuff. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's crazy how right-wing this organization has been. But they aren't really the problem. The problem is who they're supporting. The problem is Massapequa High School. The problem is some are some of these these schools across other states. Look, we won the battle here in New York State, and it doesn't matter that Massapequa was trying to sue the Department of Education. It's a frivolous lawsuit, like I said, it won't go anywhere. We won this battle. We we got a ban. We got a statewide ban on Native mascots in New York State. And when I say we, it wasn't any specific. Native organization. I used all of the data, all of the data that was collected, all of the, the resolutions, all of the statements, all of the, you know, you know, all of the positions that that certainly the nations, you know, that I'm close to, I mean, geographically, I mean, uh, you know, Onondaga, Oneida, Seneca, Mohawk ter territories, um, even the, the the Stockbridge, Muncie, and you know, and of course the the organizations like NCAI, uh, the Native American Journalists Association. I mean, I'll use all of those quotes as well as all the quotes that came from, you know, from the, uh, the psychological field, the uh, American Psychological Association, the New York um, Association of School Psychologists, Phil Zimbardo, <laughs> the guy that Andre Bilodeau, you know, tries to, you know, suggest gave him some, you know, some mentorship, <laughs> was, is clearly against the um, the mascot issue. He 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 taught at at Stanford and he fought to get rid of their native mascot. So I mean, clearly every child development expert, every psychological association, and every legitimate native organization has taken the same position against us. It's only this this group of of sellouts that are trying to. You know, and why should they get any airtime from from anybody, including me, when the vast and overwhelming majority of native people have, have spoken through, you know, either through the representatives or through, you know, some of these professional services. Now I, I, I do have to say, 
and I, and I got to be clear, there are Native people who are not as adamantly opposed to these Native mascots as, say, I am. They, I mean, clearly, they don't really understand the, the depth of the issue. They've never read any of the psychological analysis, the research uh, done on the harm caused by this stuff. And I'm, and I'm going to tell you why. And I've said this before, and, and I'm going to repeat it again here. Look, we came out of hundreds of years of oppression where our identities were crushed. Residential schools, which took children, little children, and forbid them to speak their language, forbid them to, to hang on, to cling on, to, to, to hold on to any semblance of their native identity. It was taken from them. And, and, and not only was it replaced, but it was shamed so much to say that that's satanic. To be native, to be a practicing native person with your culture is, is, is satanic. It's evil. That's what they were taught. That's what little kids were taught. You know, look, I find it creepy that schools will get kindergarten standing up to pledge allegiance to the flag. I'm sorry. I, I think that's creepy. That's that reeks of Nazi, you know, little brown shirts and, you know, little kids being indoctrinated. It reeks of that. One nation under God. Really? Really? But the idea of taking our children and, and at some level, 80% of our children at, at, during some of this residential period, taking our children. And of course, it, there, there, was all, there were all kinds of abuses that went on, went on there. Murder, you know, starvation, malnutrition, um, the failure to provide you know, proper medical care. I mean, the, the physical abuse, the psychological abuse, the sexual abuse that happened at these schools is, I mean, there's nothing to compare, compare it to. They are finding unmarked graves every single day. Not so much on the U.S. side yet. That hasn't even started yet, but on the Canadian side. And there were three times more residential schools on the American side with, again, rife with all of the sexual abuse, the physical abuse, the mental abuse, and the murder, the deaths. And look, there are plenty of deaths that weren't murder. Because if you don't provide somebody proper medical care, I mean, there, uh, the amount of, of people who died from diseases that were treatable, you know, and I mean children that died from, uh, from diseases and, uh, and maladies that were treatable, is, is just, I mean, it's, it's criminal. It's criminal. At some point, there was less than a 50% survival rate from these residential schools. So we go through this period where this incredible trauma is imposed on children, everything from beatings to malnutrition, sexual abuse, and the crime of genocide. And, and that's what assimilation is. It is creating the conditions that would cause the people to cease to exist. That's what we went through for, for almost 200 years. 200 years if you count it all. But certainly, you know, 100 years of solid residential school policy. So when we come out of that, and we've been taught to, to be a, a, ashamed of who we are, our own identity, and then we see a sports team with a native logo, Washington football team, they call themselves the Redskins. I mean, we weren't even viewing that as a slur so much 
just to be called Indian or or native was was a slur. That's what we were taught for 150 years. So to see a team that was called the the Braves or the Blackhawks or the Warriors or the Redskins or the or the Indians and it's not us, it's them. You can bet there were plenty of native people that clung on to that. Because now it was now there was this one piece of the dominant culture of native identity that they could that that they could grab onto. You mean I can actually wear a Washington football jacket or a, a Blackhawks jersey or, or a Cleveland baseball cap? I, I mean, I'm not going to get punished for that. So, yeah, there was a period of time when Native people probably saw those mascots as something that, that they could identify with. But as time goes on and you see the mockery playing out, you see a white boy running across a football field, you know, doing tumbles and gymnastics in regalia and sometimes legitimate regalia that they bought from, you know, from, from, a, from a native, you know, craftsperson. And they're out there being a cheerleader in, in, in some of this. And some people consider that stuff not just traditional, but downright sacred. And we saw the headdresses that were exploited and, and, and being worn, people wearing red face. The Florida State football team, they put a, a, they put a guy dressed up in regalia, and they call him uh, um, oh, uh, Osceola. And he rides out onto a football field and throws a spear. I mean, can you be any more um, stereotypical and inaccurate? The Seminoles weren't, weren't horse culture. I mean, they lived in the in the Everglades for crying out loud. And you're gonna put a guy on a horse, this Palomino, run him out there, you know, and he's gonna throw a spear and stick it into the football field, and that's the way you start your football games. I mean, the mockery is clear. So even the native people, many of them, who became fans of the Washington football team or the Cleveland baseball team or the Chicago hockey team or Atlanta or or whatever. Even then, they started saying, wait a minute, this is kind of creepy. You know, the tomahawk chop thing? I mean, what the hell is that? I mean, that's when the real push came. When our people started realizing what exploitation it really was, and we, we kind of got over that, that culture shock, you know, uh, element that, that, that plays out. Look, we had our identities so stripped away through, through federal government policy and state government policy and through overt racism that we were taught to be embarrassed for who we were. And when we started, you know, what we could consider the sovereignty movement, I guess, and reclaiming our identities, we, we had a lot of missteps. I mean, to tell you, there were Haudenosaunee wearing Plains Indian headdresses. Look, one of the first things I'm going to criticize when somebody has a mascot, most of the time it's a, it's a, it's a standard, stereotypical Plains Indian headdress. Massapequa. There was nobody wearing the full Plains Indian headdresses down in Long Island. They were Algonquin. They, were, they, weren't, they weren't wearing those kinds of, uh, that kind of headgear. But that's the way Hollywood portrayed us. And you know what? When we were struggling with our own identity, we started, we, we looked to Hollywood to, well, how do we dress? I mean, how do we represent ourselves as, 
as, as native people. It took years. It would take years for us to understand. I mean, even a simple thing, like the difference between a Haudenosaunee Gostoa and a, and a Plains Indian headdress. I mean, it would take years for us to, to recapture some of that. And, and of course, it, look, I, I'm not a powwow person. And, I'm, and I, my biggest issue with powwows is the fact that so many of them you know, call themselves veterans powwows. And I don't see the connection between somebody who served in the military of the U.S. or Canadian government, um, why they get honored at powwows. I, I, again, I'm not going to call them sellouts, but they clearly fought for the other side. You know what I'm saying? So, um, but a lot of the, the powwow stuff is all show stuff. I mean, look, the, the regalias are incredible to look at, but they're anything but traditional. And, and frankly, powwows are not a traditional part of our culture, Haudenosaunee. So while I don't condemn them, um, they're not really my kind of thing. And, you know, and they turned into something probably other than what they were originally intended to be. I mean, they were supposed to be our social gatherings. Now they're like shows. You put on shows and you, and you dress and you, get, uh, you dress up and you dance and you get paid to dance. You, you, you compete um, and, you know, and you sell you know, native crafts and that kind of stuff. And I don't, the, none of that stuff, there's any, nothing wrong with any of that stuff. But it's the commercialization of our culture, you know, just to be clear. And, and while some of it seem, can be viewed as appropriate, I'm not sure that all of it is. So, but even there, we, we don't see a, a true rep representation. Look, the dances that we do in Longhouse are not necessarily what you see at, at a power. I'm not saying they don't do you know, some of the, the traditional dances. But a lot of them, they want the they want the big fancy dances. They want the big war dances. They want they want to see you know the, the movements and the skill that it takes to do that kind of dancing. And it really does. I mean, it's, it's an incredible um, skill. It's an incredible talent. But it's not necessarily you know our culture. And there's nothing wrong with sharing cultures either. You know, from from native to native. So I I just want to be clear that I'm not trying to throw anybody who ever goes to a powwow or participates or has that powwow lifestyle. I'm not throwing y'all under a bus. I'm not doing that. But it is not the cultural event that teaches, you know, and, and, and nor are school mascots, just to be clear. If you're a school that uses a misrepresented stereotypical image as, as your mascot or your logo, that doesn't teach any, anybody anything of value and, or anything that's true. And see, there, again, there's part of the problem. Look, I've talked about silencing us, right? I mean, and look, we're oftentimes, you know, and, and I've been asked to, to, to draft land acknowledgements for people. I've been asked several times. And, and I, I think I even did one once. But land acknowledgement is, isn't for us. It's for white people to feel feel good about themselves. Oh, there, I did that. I did that. And I, there's a great video. In fact, I posted it on my Facebook uh, pages of, of a woman doing a land acknowledgement before some the theatrical production. And somebody in the, in the stand says, should we leave then? She goes, well, what do you mean? Well, if we're on somebody else's land, shouldn't we leave? I mean, shouldn't this land go back to them? Oh, no, no, we've got a show to do. Well, are the proceeds from the show going to Native people? No. 
I mean, are any of the, you know, the water that you sell in the lobby, is that good? No. I mean, so, I mean, it, it kind of shows the shallowness. And so, I mean, this woman does this land acknowledgement like she accomplished something. Like she did something for who? Well, it's, it's, it's the ease conscience is what it's all about. So, you know, the, the issue isn't about, I mean, look, all of it was our land. And, and, and I don't want to say ours in, in terms of a possession, but it was all of it was the land that we occupied and were driven off of. Every school that has a native mascot is on land that we were driven off of. Every one of them. Every one of them. <laughs> Many of the universities are land-grant universities where they were, they were actually given huge swaths of native land that they could sell to fund their universities. And, and including some of the HBCUs, the historically black colleges and universities. Cornell, um, uh, Dartmouth. I mean, these are all land-grant colleges. I mean, it's... So when we talk about things like land acknowledgement, we're not... I mean, there has to be more than just words said before an event starts. We need a fair platform for our voice. Look, I, I do this show. And, and I'm for the most part, I'm on WBAI when I'm not suspended or um, preempted. Or I'm on WPFW. But I've, I've had to hedge my bets, right? I, I've had to make sure that, that, that I have, uh, you know, not just the Facebook live stream, but the, but the podcast, YouTube videos. I've got to do all that stuff because I can't count on anybody else giving me, me, giving me airtime. And certainly not giving me any, you know, television or cable, air, uh, cable space. And when I do, I'm going to get like soundbite seconds, you know, to, you know, to deliver a message. I'm not going to have a conversation. Look, I'm not the hottest, um, you know, uh, speaker on the speaker circuit either. They're going to pull other people because my message is a little bit too grassroots. I am the only show on the Pacifica network, by the way, that is based or is produced and hosted by a native person who lives on a native territory. Now, I'm not saying there, there may be another show or two out there, but not based on a native territory, not living the life and not confronting the oppression every single day. Now, is my life terrible? No, it's not. Look, I've, I've got a great family. I've got 10 grandchildren I, you know, I've, who I'm very proud of, uh, three kids that I'm very proud of. My life is good, but I still have to take on New York State and I have to take on those who have been influenced by that oppression. Whether we're talking about this, this knucklehead group of uh, um, supporting mascots or whether it's in the territories that I live in or that I, that I visit. I, I, you know, holding, try, trying to hold people accountable and trying to have enough sway. I mean, I've got to counter, I've got to counter the lawyers, lobbyists, and consultants hired by, you know, by nation representatives and by these nations that are oftentimes leading the cause. They, they have more say than, I mean, here in Seneca territory, the lawyers, lobbyists, and consultants have more say than any Senecas do, including the ones who are elected, because they're being told what to, how to think and how to conduct themselves. Now, are those lawyers and lobbyists the enemy? Are they sellouts? I, you know, look, now the line gets a little bit blurry here because, you know, some of them claim to be native, but they're a part of the system of oppression. So 
you know, again, the, the point that I wanted to bring, make with this program today is that we have to stay focused on who the real enemy is. And I don't mean, you know, I'm not try, using the word enemy as if it's somebody I've got to kill here. So, you know, all that, that stereotypical savage warrior stuff can you, you forget all that stuff. I'm saying, look, look, the show's called Resistance Radio. Well, what am I resisting? Well, I'm resisting the oppression. I'm resisting what the state is doing, Kathy Hochul, or, you know, and it doesn't matter which party. That's one of the things that, that I've learned, certainly being on the radio here. The political factions that exist everywhere have people confused about who they are, what they're fighting for, even people that claim to be on the left. They're not on the left. They can be just every bit as oppressive and racist as as anybody on the right, so supposedly. And that's what we've seen at the state level, at the federal level, and, and I even see it at the at the you know at the Pacifica level, let's be honest. So it's it's important that we identify what we're fighting for. And and if we're and if we have to identify who we're fighting against, let's not be distracted. Let's make sure that. We're taking on the, uh, where the power is vested. Not those people trying to cash out and make a little bit of money off of, uh, off of some controversy. And, and I am not quick to call everybody that may be deemed a sellout or turncoat as, as somebody who is accepting bribes or, or, or that they're corrupt. I think there's some people who have a different view than mine that is more based on their fear that they have in standing up. Look, it is not easy to do what I do, okay? I mean, it's not easy to, to sustain years of activism fighting for Native issues and fighting against huge powers. I mean, that's why, I mean, it's amazing to me. I mean, again, skipping to media a little bit here. Including media on, on Pacific. You know, I never got a call from any of the state other stations about the mascot ban. That is something that I, I played a particularly primary role, principal role in. I took on my high school, took that fight from a school board fight up to the New York State Department of Education, got the New York State Department of Education working with some families to order my old high school to, to not just retire the mascot, but, but keep the mascot retired because they had a resolution that said they were going to retire it. And then I pressed them to issue a statewide ban, which they did. And the Department of Education asked me to, to sit on their uh, Indigenous Mascot Advisory Council, which I did and played a prominent role there as well. But nobody, the local NPR station here in Buffalo, never called. I had one station, one radio station that I called into because they were talking about it. I, I didn't even get the call. I, I called into them. I had uh, Brian Lair call me. But, you know, again, even that issue, it was really more always being geared towards a specific high school that was trying to resist it and not the overall problem with Native mascots. But no, I never got any, any call. I certainly wasn't on any uh, national network other, other than the Brian Lair show, I guess. 
Nobody called. I mean, this was a pretty big story. There was even a conference hosted by the Seneca Nation at their Seneca Niagara Casino, which was about Indian education, American Indian or Native American, whatever they call it, I don't know, Native American education. In New York State, policies, and, and, and they decided not to address the mascot issue at this conference. I was, supposed, I was scheduled to speak there, and they canceled it. They canceled me from speaking there. And part of it, I think they were worried because, you know, one school you know, that has, you know, that's located on Seneca territory was allowed to keep their mascot. And they were going to be doing somewhere. And I wasn't going to go throw them under a bus. I mean, I kind of knew that was going to be. I knew when the state issued its, its mascot ban that they were going to allow any school that had permission from the native territory that they were most closely associated with. If they could get permission to keep it, then. Because part of it is, look, if you were a native school and you were using a native mascot, there's nothing inappropriate about that. The problem is, is when you're predominantly white school. Now, the problem with the, with the permission the Senecas gave the city of Salamanca School District is that 60 to 70% of the student body are non-native, but whatever. I mean, I, I knew it was a possibility. I was looking, but I, got, I essentially got canceled from, from this, uh, this event because they were afraid to, they were afraid. Even, and I don't know whether this is New York State Department of Education that was afraid or the organizers of the, uh, of the, of the event. But it just gives you an example. And I realize, look, I don't pull punches. I mean, I assume if you listen to this program, you either listen to get angry at the stuff that I say, and I know there's some of you out there, so I know there's some of you that just want, they want to be provoked. But I can assume that most of you who listen to the show, who like the show, like the fact that I'm honest. And I don't pull any punches. Look, I, I mean, I'm not suggesting that, I, that I'm perfect. You know, or that I get everything right, but I'm pretty consistent. You know, if I go over through the years, the things that that I fought for, I had not had to backtrack on a, on a on a single issue ever. I've never had to backtrack and say, you know, I got that I got that wrong, and I apologize. No, I never had to do it. But I also tell you, I've been married for over forty years. I raised my my kids. Um, and saw to it that they were well provided for. I take, I'm still a primary figure in the, in, the, in the lives of my grandchildren. And I don't have these, these gaping character flaws that, that, you know, that some of these people who, who are going to get a hell of a lot more airtime than me. I don't have any, you know, outstanding, you know, um, you know alimony or, or, or uh, child, uh, you know, welfare payments or anything like that. No, I, I don't have any, any, any of that stuff hanging out there. I try to do right by my family. I do right by my, my community. And then when I'm speaking about broader issues, I know that I'm not necessarily going to give the, you, this listening audience, the, the standard fare that you're going to get out of other places. And I've taken on, you know, some of the, some of the prominent or more iconic Native people. I, I've, I've had my criticisms about folks like Suzanne Harjo and Oren Lyons and, you know, and, and, and others who have, who, who have spoken out that I find some of their message wrong or their actions don't follow their messages. So 
I'll confront some of that stuff, and I'm not calling those people specifically sellouts. I know that's part of what I'm talking about here in the, with this program. I just think that we have completely different you know, diverging opinions on, on, on what native issues are, what genocide is, clearly, what being sovereign means. Look, I'm never going to vote in a, in a state, local, or federal election. Why? They're not mine. And I can't continue to call myself a native person living in a native territory governed by a, a native government and then what, I'm going to go cast a vote for, for Joe Biden or Kathy Hochul? Are you freaking kidding me? The systems are, they don't, they're not for us. And I know there's a lot of people out there, including the, those two people I just mentioned, who have advocated for native people to vote in, in those elections. Look, and I know we feel the consequences of, uh, you know, of a right-wing Supreme Court. I know we do. A left-wing Supreme Court, I mean, I, I've talked about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She didn't do us any favors either. The system is geared against us. There's no such thing as federal Indian law. I'm with Peter DeRico on this thing. It's federal anti-Indian law. Every law was ever passed was to control us, was to oppress us, was to take something from us, including our children. And even when they passed a law to stop taking our children, they still didn't acknowledge that we had the right to place our children where, where we thought they should be placed if, if our children were in an unfit home. They still rely on state CPS. They just put some federal guardrails up. I mean, I don't give the, you know, what is the, the, the accepted narrative? I'm always going to give the counter narrative. And I'm not trying to just be a contrarian. I just think that there has we cannot soften our position on trying to maintain our identity. It's been a hard struggle, and I and I, I talked about the, the the conflicts associated even with the, with the mascots, right? But we are forever in a constant battle, asserting who we are, and there's a lot of stuff luring us in different directions. I mean, everything from environmental issues and capitalism. Commercialism, not just of, of things like, you know, I, I talked about powwows, but in general, look, our primary businesses on native territory are gas, gaming, cigarettes, and now cannabis. None of those things, including the tobacco or other cannabis in the way that it's being marketed, none of those are, are being done in a way that would be culturally appropriate. And I'm not condemning them. Look, we, we don't have a whole lot of opportunities on our territories. So anything that provides a high enough margin for us to have some commercial success are the things that we do, like gas, gaming, cigarettes, and cannabis. But we don't have economies here. I still have to go shop at the grocery store off-territory or Walmart or Target or, you know, or, or you know, Wegmans or whatever because we don't have that here. And when it's been attempted, even as some of the gas stations or smoke shops that have expanded in the sea stores carry a few grocery items, no, it's, it's not. They can't provide what we need to live on a daily basis. Our lives have been disrupted in many, many ways. Our diets have been altered. You know, what we do for entertainment, the fact that I'm speaking English and I can't speak my, I, you know, I, I've, 
you know, I have, you know, some basic understandings of, uh, of, of my language. But this is the language that I know. This is the one that I'm versed in. <clears throat> Why? Because it was taken from us. And it was taken from us generation after generation after generation. Look, we talk about seven generations all the time. But people don't understand what seven generations means. What, I mean, for one thing, a generation is only about 25, about 25 years. So if you're talking about 150, 160, 175 years, that's seven generations. So all seven of, of, of the seven generations back always were, were involved with colonialism. We got to go back another seven generations before that. And even then there was colonialism. I mean, if, if seven generations is less than 200 years, we've got to go back 21 generations before we uh, uh, come back to, a, to our culture not being obliterated by imperialism and colonialism. So, look, we still can be the benefits of our previous generations. They do hold knowledge for us. But it's not, it's not pure. It's all been corrupted, and it's been corrupted for over seven generations. So much of what my generation has been trying to do is to recapture what's been lost. So ceremonies, resistance, that's what's been lost. Language, that's what's been lost. Identity, that's what's been lost. So, of course we're going to have sellouts and turncoats. Because this life, living on native territory, everybody thinks, oh, it's so great, you live on native territory, you guys have casino money, you guys all have smoke shops, you all have... No, no. 30% of Senecas live below the poverty line. In spite of the fact that they have gaming. And New York State has been taking half of the revenue produced by Seneca Gaming for 21 years. Half of it. And what's the federal government do? Nothing. Nothing. So, yeah, we have, we have battles. We have battles to fight. Part of it is, and, and primarily a big part of it is, is our identity. That's why I feel so strongly about mascots. That's why I feel so strongly about how we're, we're referenced, what we call ourselves, both in our language or if we're going to use your language. That's why I use words like native rather than Indian or even indigenous. I don't want to be called an Indian or a Native American or American Indian. I feel strongly about our identity, and it's what I feel so committed to fighting for. But most of what we're fighting against are not those fringe sellouts that join the other side. Or, and even those, those who do reach positions of power who are listening to those who are, are in that system. And, and here I'm talking about you know, leadership who hire these lawyers and these lobbyists and these consultants and all these professional services to guide their decisions really make the decisions for them. The reason I speak out the way I do, 
look, I'm not trying to cause a civil war in the Seneca Nation. I, I want these guys to do better. But I don't think the state deserves 50% of their revenue from their gaming. The Seneca people need that. And we don't, like I said, we don't have a true economy. We can only make the money that we can make. The vast majority of, of Senecas don't, don't work on territory. They're iron workers, they're, 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 they're hospital staff, they, you know, they, they do any number of other jobs. They're waitresses. I mean, we don't, we don't have 100% employment here. Seneca Nation employs over 5,000 people. The vast majority of them are non-native. Yeah, I mean, if you ask me why, that's a whole nother show. The answer is pretty complex. But part of it is our own self-deprecating nature. We don't think we're worthy. That's what 150 years of residential schools does. That's what trampling on our identity does. It also produces sellouts. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for joining me. Now, next week, supposedly I'm going to be, uh, my suspension is over. And of course, again, I appreciate the fact that WPFW kept me on the air during this, uh, this, this period of time. But uh, I've been, I will have been off for five weeks from WBAI. So those of you who are listening on Facebook Live or, or ch catch the podcast who normally listen to me on WBAI, you can listen to me on WBAI next week. So, uh, and that'll be the show that leads into the holiday weekend for Indigenous Peoples Day. You know, the, I'm also going to do a piece, uh, by the way, um, uh, on that Monday, um, uh, a one-hour special for, uh, for WPFW. Uh, so, um, so you can join me both uh, next Friday and next Monday, <laughs> so, or the following Monday. So I want to thank you for listening. I am John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. <laughs>